Hi, I'm Connie Wilkes. I'm Marlene Nelson. I'm Jerry Gropp. And I'm Sherry Spute. And our last names make up the acronym WINGS. We're just four ordinary moms with extraordinary bonds. The Lord gathers us all under His wings as a hen gathers her chicks. And we hope to offer a place to gather for all our friends, family, and all who wish to join us. So welcome to our podcast conversation, Under His Wings. If you're enjoying our podcast, won't you share it with a friend? Or go in and rate and review us. It really helps us to be able to get our message out. Welcome back. We have a treat for you today. We have a guest speaker with us. Her name is Blythe Beecham. We look forward to learning um, with her and from her. So let's just jump in. Um, Blythe, tell us a little about yourself, maybe a little bit about where you were raised, how many siblings you have, whatever you feel like you want to share. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> so I was raised in the Seattle area, about 20 minutes north in the Linwood Stake um, with nine other siblings. So there's <clears throat> 10 of us. Big family. Yes. We know about big families. Yes, yes. you do. <laughs> um, I am 29 years old, which it does feel really young. I know that's kind of weird, but I just feel like I should be 30 already. But um, I have three kids, age three, four, and six. Ah, <laughs> we love that age too. That was fun. One. <laughs> it's about the ages of my grandkids. So oh. see how much older I am. <laughs> you said you feel older. I really feel old lately. <laughs> Uh, Sherry, I understand that you and Blythe met at church. Um, mm -hmm. Blythe, have you been a Christian all your life? I have, yes. Um, my parents are both very committed uh, disciples of Christ. They have uh, really rich testimonies. And my dad passed away about five years ago in a car accident. But um, I know he's still working hard on the other side of the veil. <laughs> Probably harder than ever, right? Yeah. Keeping you and those babies safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Blythe and I, we, we don't know each other really well, but as I pondered on who we should invite to visit with us following our last podcast on Grace, it was her name that kept coming to me, so I reached out over a messenger, and she agreed and said she'd be interested, and so I asked her to pray about the message that the Lord would like her to share and to send me some of her thoughts, and I could tell from the things that you had written down for me, Blythe, that pleasing the Lord is very important to you. Because one of the first things that you mentioned was that you used to struggle with scrupulosity. And that's a type of religious OCD. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I actually stumbled upon it. I was searching through the Gospel Library app in the Young Adult section, and there was a talk on religious scrupulosity or religious OCD. And I started reading it, and I just felt so called out. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so I actually wanted to share a quote with it just to describe how it is. But um, for members of the church with scrupulosity, it's this obsessive compulsive anxiety that kind of bullies its way into our religious life. And it it does that by relentlessly plaguing us with pathological toxic guilt and inducing us to believe that this guilt comes from the spirit. And as a result, a lot of elements of our personal worship, they kind of get hijacked by the anxiety. So prayer, scripture study, and church, temple attendance, they don't they no longer bring those feelings of peace or connection with the spirit because they're generally done out of fear of punishment or not doing the right thing or um, and they kind of create feelings of condemnation. And so um, your religious focus tends to become more narrow and trivial and high anxiety ridden. Mm -hmm. um, and you sometimes will have behaviors like, 
praying and confessing that become repetitive, persistent, and you'll have, sometimes you have unwanted compulsions that cause a lot of distress. Right. Well, for sure. Can rob you of your mental peace. I know I've seen this struggle up close um, with my son, Cody, who struggled with it for a couple of years following his mission. And his very deepest desire then and still is to please the Lord. He doesn't ever want to do anything that would be offensive to God, right? Um, Which sounds like a really good thing. Because that is, all of us that love the Lord, that's our desire, right? To, mm-hmm. to please Him. But I've seen how this type of OCD can truly rob you of that peace that the Savior wants you to experience in this life in spite of our weaknesses and where we fall short. Um, for most of us, knowing that God's grace will cover those weaknesses and mistakes, of course, gives us hope for our future. Um, but it seems to me like, for those with scrupulosity, it's kind of hard to rely on that, that fact. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that you said it was so good, like we want so badly to do the right thing. We want so badly to be worthy of the celestial kingdom. We want mm-hmm. so badly to essentially earn our way into heaven. Um, but that's a, a fallacy and it's a ploy of the devil because we can't earn our way into heaven. Nothing we will ever be, nothing we do will ever be enough to warrant a place in the celestial kingdom. Um, And that's a major beautiful point of the atonement of Jesus Christ. So for those who struggle with religious OCD, it's going to take a lot of time to reparent yourself, essentially. Um, The first step will be to to acknowledge that you struggle with that. And then you kind of have to find a way to remind yourself continually of of what the truth really is. and until that's the new normal that you believe, you have to keep reminding yourself. And that truth is that, you know, we're not big enough to ruin God's plans. The truth is we're not enough to get into heaven, but we were never meant to be. Jesus Christ's mission was always to make all the difference. The Lord loves effort and the Lord loves our efforts, however small or big they are. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that um, this was something that you struggled with in the past. Now, I know for my son, it required medication and counseling in order to conquer it. What helped you overcome it? For me, it was counseling, um, reading a lot of personal development and psychology books, learning more about it, and also really surrounding myself with friends and people who already had healthier ways of thinking and allowing myself... It took a lot of courage, honestly. It took a lot of growth to develop the courage to be willing to even consider that maybe my beliefs weren't serving me. The Mm -hmm. only reason why I figured out that's what I was doing is because I read it. And as soon as I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I'm doing. That's me. Right. And putting words to the things you struggle with is the most freeing, liberating thing. And so when people don't know that it exists, you think something's wrong with you. But when you can read, oh, this is an actual thing. There's not something wrong with me. This can be healed. This can be changed. And I immediately took it to my bishop and I, and he'd never heard of it either. Mm-hmm. I gave him the talk and he was like, I need to read this more. You know, a lot of people struggle with this. Um, just being aware that that's what it is, that it's not the spirit, because we think it's the spirit. Driving you to this place of perfection. Yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they're they're good values and they're good things to be working towards. And so we think, well, it must be from the spirit because it's a good fruit, right? Mm -hmm. Well, all good things, Satan tries to taint 
When yeah. you found the article or the information, it was on a church website, you said? Yes, in the Gospel Library app I in mean, the Young Adult section. It's an online, um, it was an online version of the Enzyme, I think, only. Like, it wasn't in print. Wow. I know. I'm like, it should be everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. find that fascinating. And so finding that, putting a name on it, recognizing, okay, this is really me, and yeah. yet this isn't the way our Heavenly Father wants us to be. Yes. So here we are, you know, someone who might be currently struggling with something like this now, what advice would you give? I would say uh, it's okay. You're not alone. Many struggle with this and better yet, many have healed from it. And through time and practice and intentionality, you will too. Once, once you've recognized it, you know, that's honestly the biggest part because I know I know for Cody when those compulsive thoughts come into his mind he now says to himself that's an OCD compulsion and so he knows to not listen to what his thoughts are telling him to do in that moment does that make sense so Mm -hmm. yeah to recognize it has helped him so once you've recognized it just become aware of when you think you're doing it just Mm -hmm. like you said um and that can look like writing it down in a journal or my, I like people so I confide in friends who I know will help call me out when I don't notice it. Sometimes I'll, I'll tell my friends, Hey, I think I'm struggling with this. And then later when I go to them with a problem, they go, Hey, remember when you said you, you kind of do this thing? I think you're doing it now. That really, really helped. Um, and when you find yourself stressing, you, you write a new story. I used to have a section in my notes tab called when you start to freak out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it just reminded me of truths I knew when I was calm and at peace. And I also use the think up app. Um, you can write down affirmations and record your voice and it plays it back to you with music. So I actually took my patriarchal blessing and several other blessings that I've received over the years. And I, wrote down everything that God said that I was and that I would have. And I put it as an affirmation. So whenever I start to spiral and think, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person or, you know, people are going to think my motives are bad, you know, all of those things, all I had to do was push play. And because the spirit witnesses of truth, it creeps in and starts testifying of those things that are in our blessings from God. Mm-hmm. And it, it begins to relinquish a lot of the devil's power over you and you start to feel lighter and it gets you to a higher frequency. So profound. You were so, so guided. Those are amazing examples of what to do. The reminder is so important because it's all it's all in our mind. It's all mental. So my absolute favorite scripture is Helaman 512, where he says, now my sons, remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our redeemer, who is Christ, the son of God, that you must build your foundation. I found that all of my fears and struggles all come because I forget, I forget the good experiences that I had spiritually. I forget how God feels about me. I forget the good that I've done. And so for me, it really is a game of just remembering the good that I bring to the world and that I've brought to the world and that others bring to the world. Like sometimes I'm struggling with other people. All I have to do is remember the good. Very end of that scripture is my absolute favorite because he says a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall. Yeah. And that is so 
oh, it's so healing and um, comforting to me. Like, 100%. okay, I can't mess it up. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Oh, so helpful. Exactly. Yes. You know, we mentioned in our last um, podcast, we talked a lot about grace. And so we recognize that his grace continues to help us as we strive uh, to become our best selves. Um, Blythe, we would like you to talk about how you've seen grace working in your life. And I understand that you are currently um, a single mother with three kids. So maybe you could first tell us about how you met and married the father of your children. Yeah, so I met my former spouse um, in 2012. And he was so full of life and, you know, exuberance. And we, um, we met and then I went to China for five months to teach English. And so we kind of Skype dated and, um, it was during that online courtship that I felt really prompted, like, this is the man that you're going to marry. And I had a lot of witnesses too of that. And so when I came home, I moved to where he was and we dated in person And then we got married on the day that we met a year later and our marriage was very difficult from the beginning. I mean, we were married in the temple and we loved each other. Um, there were a lot of mental health struggles that we were unaware of before we got married. And I started going to counseling and I was studying sociology at the time and I'd be reading in my textbooks and I would just see, Oh my gosh, this is, this is our struggle. This is it. This is, you know, these are the things that he's struggling with. And, um, I thought that I was the only person in the world who could help him fight his demons. And so the problem was I allowed a lot of mistreatment in the name of mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just excuse behavior. Oh, that's just the PTSD. Oh, that's just the anxiety. He doesn't mean those things. Mm-hmm. He, you know, and so I, I didn't really stand up for myself and you don't have to stand up for yourself in a rude way, but I just continued to allow the mistreatment. And, um, the abuse eventually became physical and he was arrested, um, on a very traumatic night. I was left with a, a one-year-old, a two-year-old and a four-year-old and a no contact order was mandated by the state for two years. Um, it was later amended to, to three months. Um, and then, but during that time following it, it was very much a, a fog afterwards of what is up and what is down because he was active in the church. He did love God. Um, there were just a lot of things that didn't make sense during that time. I was really trying to figure out if I should stay married or not. You know, abuse makes things very unclear. Like Mm -hmm. you think it should be clear, like, Oh, they hate you. You shouldn't be with them anymore. No, it's not clear at all. And, um, and covenants were very, very important to me. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified of breaking them. And so with this religious OCD, I was, so ashamed that I even considered divorce, to be honest. I was so embarrassed that I was even considering that. And everyone would say, well, I mean, it's perfectly justified for you to get divorced, Blythe, considering all that's happened. And I just felt like, no, God expects me to stay. He wants me to stay. He wants me to stay. And um, that religious OCD, it really kept me in a really unhealthy and toxic relationship for a really long time because I desperately wanted to do the right thing. And it took me a good six months to officially decide and follow through with my decision. I changed my mind a couple times, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is normal. We oscillate between, you know, never wanting to see them again and never wanting to leave them. Right. Um, but during that time, I learned that I didn't trust myself and my connection with heaven. And um, part of that was my former spouse would tell me that revelation I received was 
if it was different than what he got, that I would, I was misunderstood mm-hmm. or I was misunderstanding. And so I was to, so terrified of, of making that choice. So, so what gave you the determination and strength to move forward at that point? Yeah. Once yeah. you'd made your decision. Yeah, it took a lot. Um, there were angels, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you have to get to a point where your fear of where you want to go is no longer greater than the fear of staring, staying where you are. My sister always quotes, you know, the certainty of misery is more comfortable than the misery of uncertainty. And I love that line so much because familiar dysfunction feels so much safer mm-hmm. than moving to a healthier place. And, um, but we have the spirit and that nudges us in the directions that we eternally want to go. Um, I've been reading this book by Peter G. Simona and it's called Becoming Christ-Centered. He says, mental exertion is the way we exercise faith. It is the way we change our thoughts. Mental exertion is the method to create change in our lives and the way that we can transcend any experience. My body cannot communicate to my mind. I must talk to my mind. And it is through mental exertion that I counsel myself with falsehood or with truth. It's through mental exertion that I can bring about any change I desire in my life. It is through mental exertion that I see, think, feel, and do. Through mental exertion, I sin, I repent, I grow. So really what got me through it is I had to be very honest with myself about what was actually happening in that relationship and what was actually changing. Was was it just lip service or were there things actually changing? And at that time, um, there would be lots of periods of, of growth and positivity quickly shadowed by similar patterns again and again and again. And so I had to remind myself of what reality really was. So it really was a mental game for all of it. And, um, I was, because it was so important to me, I took the time to really make sure that I was making the right choice mentally and emotionally and having all the facts. That's great. Because it sounds to me like you were in that place where you were ready to recreate, recreate your life, mm-hmm. your um, relationships, your the home in which your children were growing up in. Mm-hmm. I actually knelt down and I just decided, okay, God, I don't care who I'm sealed to. But this is the celestial relationship that I want. And I just laid it out. And I, you know, I talked about we would be able to communicate this way when we would have this kind of relationship. And when when difficulties came, we would do this and this and this. And I just felt that perfect brightness of hope, like that overwhelming joy, like, yes, you can have that. I have that for you. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, it became less scary to decide if I was supposed to stay married or not. And instead just trusted God has me and he's going to make sure I make the right decision. And, um, I'm, I have to make it, I'm the one that has to make it, but he's going to tell me if it's the right way or not to get me to where I want to be, because he's told me that this righteous desire I'm allowed to have. And, you know, it'd be great if it was with my current husband, but if not, I'm not going to limit God in what he can do to bless me. To be able to take that mental exertion and place it in a way where you can speak it to your father in heaven, then that truth was testified to you. Yes. And you said, I felt this clarity, this warmth that I knew, this is what I'm able to have. Mm-hmm. And I went one step further, I wrote it down. So yes. I still have that note. Oh, wow. And so when I am doubting or concerned, like, did I make the right choice? I go back and I read that and the spirit testifies again. Yes, 
this is what you wanted. You couldn't have it where you were. You will have it. Oh, I pray about it. That then it affects our feelings, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Our feelings mm-hmm. affect our actions, and our actions eventually affect our destiny yeah. and our character, who yeah, we, we become. And- we are. We're powerful creators, whether we are aware of it or not. So, mm. um, you know, and sometimes we forget this principle and we just kind of sit back and feel like life just happens to us. And even when we are aware of it and we're trying to create or recreate something, like in this case, your happy family and your personal mental health, it's hard to know what step to take next. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I love, there's this little movie and it's called Onward and it's these two brothers who are desperately trying to spend one day with their dad that's passed away and they're they have to go on this quest and they get to this chasm in the a canyon and the bridge is on the other side to lower it down and one of the brothers is magical and one of them is not the one who's not knows everything about magic and the one who is doubts it like nobody's business <laughs> and so he's really the only way that they can get across and so the older brother says, you can do this. This is the spell that you use. And then there will be an invisible bridge. And so he casts the spell and there's no bridge. And he's like, well, it's in- invisible. You won't know until you take a step. And he's like, what? And he's so scared and he doesn't want to do it. And so his brother's like, look, I'll tie a rope around you. So if you fall, I'll catch you, you know? And I feel like that's kind of how grace comes in and helps us. So he does this spell and he takes one step and he falls off the cliff. (laughs) And I love that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's so much more like reality. Right. Where we think, okay, I'm going to try to do this. And we take a step and, oh, I didn't have enough faith. (laughs) But God catches us and he says, it's okay. And his brother dushes, dusts him off. He goes, now you know the worst that will happen. Let's try again. Mm-hmm. And so he he uses all of his mental exertion and he really focuses and he takes that first step. And the first step is on something solid. And he gets so excited. And then he takes another step and he falls. And his brother says, you have to believe with every step. That clip is more about faith than grace. But I think they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And we always are allowed to try again. And... Um, to know what step to take. God loves, he can't help us unless we make a choice. Like he wants so badly to bless us. And that's what I had to learn is it didn't matter what choice I made. He just needed me to make a choice and he would consecrate it no matter what it was. He would make it known if it was the right choice. So when I changed my mind a couple months after I decided to get divorced and I changed my mind and went back, um, it became very clear again. He was like, no, Blythe, let me show you. So we we're so afraid we're going to mess up the plans, but we can't God. It will not let us. We're not strong enough to. And so he comes back and he gets us on the right track, but we have to be willing to take a step forward. And faith is not knowing that there's going to be anything there to catch you, but knowing that you're going to be okay, whether you fall or soar. So deep (laughs) (laughs) and so hard and so good. Yes. Oh, and it takes a lot of steps sometimes, a lot of time, right? Yes. You're still seeking yes. that happily ever after, right? Yes. That celestial relationship mm-hmm. and that that you know is going to be out there. Yes. And it's so yeah. scary, but it's also, I know I'm going to be okay mm-hmm. even when some days I'm crying, going, what is happening? Yes. <laughs> but honestly, by God's grace, like this experience has become the best thing that ever happened to me. His grace allowed me to have grace for myself. Um, and like I said, none of us is strong enough to ruin God's plan. And I was never intended to be perfect. I want to talk about grace, 
having grace for yourself when it's a major mistake. You know, it's not easy to share your largest regret with the world, but if it can help someone, then it's worth it to me. So just like how I mentioned that it's impossible to have relationships without getting hurt or hurting someone else. I want to highlight one of my mistakes that really hurt someone. During my divorce, I met a very kind man who dealt with similar abuse in his own marriage. And he reminded me of me. You know, in my marriage, I was drowning for years, hoping someone would see me. How's married life was like the most dreaded question because I felt like I was betraying something important if I said anything other than wonderful. I was constantly wishing and hoping that someone would see me. And so because I experienced years and years of isolating darkness, I wanted to always try to be the friend that was intentionally creating a safe place for people who were struggling in their relationships, you know, to collaborate and have hope. Now I know I need to put different boundaries on that. (laughs) Um, He and I would often talk about certain books and various resources that we could use to help us in our marriages. And as a result of having unmet needs for so long and finally having someone who saw and understood cups that had long been empty were filling up. And I guess it was too difficult to push the only person filling them up away to go back to empty. And as a result, an emotional affair developed and I, I wish, I wish, I wish I had been strong enough to walk away. And I wish that every day I feel so disgusted and discouraged because I believe that covenants and promises are sacred. And I wish I had healed more so that I could stand in line with my values. And and I didn't, I did try, you know, so many times of no contact or distance, but was it enough? Uh, absolutely not. And for that, she experienced an immense amount of pain and that weighs heavily on me. It is challenging to experience mortality when you make mistakes, especially when those mistakes hurt others deeply. I hear and see her anger regularly, and I wish more than anything I could rewrite time. And when you have the adversary whispering that you have to be perfect to be loved, it can be crippling. And I go to God and I say, tell me what to do. I need to fix it. Tell me what to do and I'll fix it. And he says, you can't. You can't. But... but I provided a savior who can his actions and sacrifice make it. So you will be healed from all those who hurt you and all who hurt you can be healed as well. I made choices that were not in line with my values and I fumbled and fumbled through life. And I wish that I had been perfect, but all I can do is let God in on this one and let the savior take over. This wrestle with grace has been the most challenging experience of my life. How could I be worthy of grace? Impatiently, the Lord teaches me over time. You will never be worthy of it, but I still offer it freely. Somehow, by God's grace, I can still look myself in the mirror each morning and say, Blythe, you are a daughter of God, worthy of love and belonging. Former spouse, you are a son of God, worthy of love and belonging. And to the woman who continually tries to disparage and tear down because of her immense pain, you are a daughter of God worthy of love and belonging. And we're all learning. And it's painful. And sometimes it doesn't seem fair that God lets us learn on each other like this. The years of spiritual, financial, emotional, and then physical abuse from my former spouse and the affair with another woman's husband. Why does he let us live here together? I don't subscribe to the belief that everything happens for a reason. But I do believe that all things, even the heinous, horrendous, hurtful things, 
can be made for our good to them that love God. That is his masterful power of grace. Yeah, it's important that we remember that because, like you said, we do oftentimes learn the most after we've fallen off, fallen a off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the Lord's okay with that. Yeah. He's like, I know you're improving, learning, growing. You've got this. Next time you're going to soar, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So how did you get to that place where you could really learn to trust in God's plan for you then? Yeah. So a lot of it comes down to my absolute favorite story in the scripture. I guess I have a lot of absolute favorite stories, (laughs) but one of my favorites is the story of the brother of Jared and of the stones. Um, because he goes to God and he says, I have this problem. And God says, great. What are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he's like, Oh, (laughs) I don't know. That's how I feel. (laughs) And he comes and he, he comes back to God and he says, okay, God, please don't be mad at me. And he says that in the scriptures, like, please don't be mad at me, God. But I have these rocks and I was thinking that maybe you could touch them and make them glow. And I always get emotional when I think about this because he goes and goes, I just have these small little rocks (laughs) and I know they're just small and they're so simple and they're not much, but you're God. And I was thinking that maybe you could touch them and together we could make this happen. And our offering is so small and so meager. They're little rocks from a mountain, but God consecrates anything we offer. He says, I love that plan. And he comes out and he touches the stones and they glow. And you know what's so cool about that? They don't just glow for a day or a week or a month. They glow for 344 days. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As long as he needed them to glow. Exactly. Mm -hmm. God comes in and he magnifies and consecrates any of our meagerest, smallest, simplest offerings. Amen. Great. And it also really helped me to have grace for my, my former spouse, you know, through a lot of the learning, I was willing to understand why my spouse acted the way that he did and for how long he did. And not everyone is willing to go there and that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For me, I really like to know why and what. I like to know how things work. And as I studied, I was able to really see so many of the things that contributed to his behavior. And I'm not saying that his behavior was okay, but I can now see him from a place of compassion and knowing that he is offering meager rocks too. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily have to stay at the same table as him. And God is accepting his stones and he will consecrate them too. To his benefit. To his right? benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully he's learning and growing through this whole I think process as well. I think he is. Mm-hmm. And even if he wasn't, because I know that for a while he wasn't, mm-hmm. It it's not about, justice is not about other people. Mm-hmm. It's just our relationship with Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. And you've struggled a little bit with depression. I mean, as I'm sure most would in your situation. And well, what have you learned about that? Yeah, God actually taught me a lot through depression, um, which then became a stewardship, which there's a really amazing podcast on how our trials are stewardships. But um, I didn't know how to have grace for myself because I was never forced to like I was with depression. (laughs) You know, there were days I spent curled up in a ball in my living room, rocking back and forth, trying to rock my brain. Like who would be available to play with my kids so I can process all the emotions that are coming and, Mm -hmm. and all the things that are happening 
And there were days I felt so exhausted. Like my body was so tired and it needed to sleep for a couple days. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very productive, high efficiency person. And so to suddenly not be able to do and go and act, I, I had two choices. I could decide that I was a failure, inadequate and of less value to myself, which I did, or I could recognize that this was depression. It is what it is. And that means I'm going to have to reset. I'm going to have to rest differently than I used to or actually start resting. Right. <laughs> so I, I was also able to see my former spouse from a place of compassion because of the depression too. Um, because I, I knew that he had had it during our marriage, but I had not experienced it. So I didn't really understand looking back. I, I wish I did some things differently. Right. Um, but but now I can see him with a place of compassion and boundaries rather than just compassion and permissiveness or no compassion at all, which I did eventually get to because I resented my experience so much. But I realized that, you know, he'd been so depressed. And um, at first I felt bad because I, I needed more from him and he wasn't able to give it. But learning more about healthy boundaries taught me to realize that there is a difference between recognizing a struggle with depression, admitting it and choosing to get help versus knowing that it's there, but still believing that everybody else is the problem and needs to change to meet your needs. And that was the dynamic in our relationship. He had it, but it was my fault. Um, but grace allowed me to recognize that he was struggling and also recognize that I was allowed to be with people who were willing to take accountability and take responsibility for their mental health. Um, I no longer see him with disdain. I have always maintained that he genuinely wanted to be a good person. I believe that about most people, but they often don't know how with the trauma they've experienced themselves. Um, learning grace for others taught me that people don't betray you. They reveal themselves. It's not about us and it does no one any good to resent them for being who they can be at that time. And the way they choose to act is information for me. And I can choose to blame them, resent them, feel hurt by them, or recognize that that is who they know how to be right now. And I can adjust my interactions with them accordingly. And it usually starts with the first and then progresses to the second. Sure. But when you are a recovering codependent, that sounds really harsh it's like, you don't want to set boundaries like that. That sounds so mean, like you're abandoning them, but it's actually the, the model of love that God uses with us. He never shames us when we make mistakes. And sometimes we make really horrendous mistakes, mistakes that damage lives, but he takes us right where we are. I was just so drawn to the point that you made that people don't betray you, but their actions reveal themselves to you. And then I just, that's so powerful. And your, your ability to find a boundary, to recognize the boundary and the boundary is really God's love that you're extending to the person. Mm -hmm. When you recognize your decision to keep yourself from being more harmed is also helping them to not harm you. Does that make yes. sense? Yeah. So, and it's tricky too, because you have to have this certain level of detachment, you know, in the church, we value celestial families and they are so important. And I think as a result, sometimes the lines get blurred where we think, okay, two became one. So we're the same person. So if you are struggling, then I'm struggling and that can put you in a slippery slope. Yes. You need to be acting one in person. You need to have that unity. That's the goal. That's the ideal. Um, 
but there is such a healthy level of detachment where you are able to see this is what you are struggling with. And I can have compassion and see that you're struggling with it. It's okay that you're struggling with it. That doesn't mean I have to struggle with it. And that's really hard at first. I couldn't do it when I was first married. It wasn't until recently that I've started practicing in various relationships. To say that through grace, you've found the ability to forgive and feel compassion for your former spouse, as well as anyone that um, has hurt you deeply, as well as compassion for yourself. Yes, absolutely. And I also want to put in a plug that it takes time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, In his book, The Courage to be Disliked, the author discusses Adlerian psychology. And it teaches that sometimes we can take half as many years as we've been alive to reverse deep-seated ways of thinking. I was able to forgive my former spouse in less than two years. I'm still working on forgiving my Mm -hmm. (laughs) in-laws. I still have a lot of pain and anger there. And, and I also know that I will forgive them. Um, but that grace offers me as much time as I need that God doesn't rush us. He takes us wherever we are. And I have found so much peace in realizing that I don't have to be perfect right now because for a while I'd be like, Oh my goodness, I haven't forgiven them yet. I'm not worthy. And Satan gets in and he tricks you because God says, forgive, right? He does. And we will. And we're human. Right. (laughs) Oh, that phrase, that grace offers me as much time as I need. Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. You both know my daughter, Catherine. Um, Since being home from her mission, something that I've heard her testify of many times is that it is time plus the atonement that can heal all wounds. And I know that we we often want to skip the time part, right? (laughs) Yes, that grace, the grace of time relieves this constant push for perfectionism when we can accept that it's impossible to live without needing grace. You know, my, my spouse hurt me and I hurt, I probably, I'm sure I hurt him and I hurt other people and I will hurt people and you will hurt people because it's an inevitable part of mortality. If you're going to have any kind of relationship with anyone, someone's going to get hurt Mm -hmm. at one point or another, you know, we're not perfect and we are all still worthy of love and belonging. That doesn't mean that abuse is okay. Um, but if we can use that, the guilt of like when we've made a mistake or we've hurt someone, if we can use that as a launching pad instead of spiraling into shame, then it becomes a springboard for change and for becoming. And we can, if when we can accept reality as it is, that we are flawed, that they are flawed, and that we will all make mistakes, we can have peace that replaces anxiety. And when peace replaces anxiety, we can actually hear God telling us what step to take next. That they're not mistakes, they're lessons. Some more painful than others, but still lessons. Yeah, for sure. And I love how you mentioned that guilt can be a launching pad, a stepping stone or whatever we want to call it to help us move forward, where shame often causes us to withdraw, right? And Mm -hmm. spiral downward. And I know we've talked a little bit about how God can work through feelings of guilt in the past. So to keep keep it clear, my mind always think of Gigi, which means godly guilt. Um, But when we're feeling that shame, which I always think of SS, right? Satan's shame. um, He wants us to feel like we're always going to be a failure. I like how it sounds like you've discovered the difference of those two emotions in your life, how one truly can come from the Lord and be a stepping stone and one from Satan who just wants to hold us back. And you'll notice that people replicate those. There are some people in your life who want you to stay in shame. Somebody could keep you in that frame of shame. Mm -hmm. Oh, you were divorced. divorced. Or 
they could cheer you on. Mm-hmm. And I just and I, out, and I have both. Yeah. There are people in my life who offer both, and that sucks, but mm-hmm. it's reality. Mm-hmm. And then I and then I understand you're a wedding photographer. I wonder if there's, you know, I mean, yes. how did you get to that? And I was thinking, wow, that's incredible. You because, have to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, cause I did struggle with that. I was like, who's going to want to hire me? I'm divorced. They're going to think it's contagious. Cause some people do think that divorce is contagious, but you know, contrary to popular belief going through divorce, I still absolutely love to photograph weddings. <laughs> Healthy, happy love gets me giddy, and I I do annoy. I'm pretty sure I annoy my clients with squeals oh, of delight. I just am like, oh my gosh, you're so beautiful. I have heard um, you say those things actually when my daughter um, helped you out yes. a couple weekends ago and did videos, and I could hear your squeals in the background. And, <laughs> yes. But I thought it was really sweet and cute, and I'm sure those couples love it that you were you're in the moment and enjoying it and giving them compliments and feeling that love that they have for each other. Well, and I think it's a testimony of everything you've been talking about because you still have hope. Yeah. You still have understanding of grace that God's with you Mm -hmm. and that this can be your, you know, your future future. Mm -hmm. and, and you believe in love. Yes. Because you believe in God. Yes, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you've also started or you, you will be doing a women's retreat in the fall how did you come about putting those together? Yes. So the women's wellness retreats, they were inspired by my own journey. Um, see, at, at the beginning, I thought that I loved myself. I thought that I had self-confidence, but I did not. <laughs> I learned that I had codependency and trauma and insecurities that really kept me stuck. And I had no idea how little I knew myself. Um, but the more that I've learned, the more that I've shared and the more that I've shared, the more I meet so many that resonate with growth who want to change their lives. They want better relationships. They want to love themselves. They want to deconstruct false beliefs and stop getting in their way. Um, and those are all very ambiguous, but the application of having real tools to be able to do that is profound. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to stop holding myself back. And I took myself to Paris, which is something I've always wanted to do. And my experience in Paris was so empowering because of the, all the growth and nurturing that I had undergone over those, you know, that year and a half. And I wanted to provide that for other women. Like, what if I could take you all to a beautiful place, pamper you, stretch your mind, show you the queen that you are, and we could all heal and bond together. That just sounds like heaven to me. So I created the glow up and, um, it's to do just that with incredible women who maybe don't see it yet, but who want to. And so our first retreat is this September and I'm taking them to Paris with me. Mm. Oh, it's (laughs) so fun. Oh, what a beautiful and inspired idea. And I'm sure it's going to be a beautiful experience for these ladies. I love that you're wanting to share all that you've learned through these difficult life experiences with others and. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us today before we close? One thing that kind of helps me remember grace is grace is giving yourself space, space to learn, space to fail, space to grow, space to achieve, space to, to fly. Um, and God gives us that grace. So why wouldn't we give it to ourselves as well? So I always remember grace is space. Grace gives us space to be human. I love that. Mm-hmm. 100%. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I loved this. Great. (laughs) Well, until next time, we hope everybody will stay safely under his wings.